Welcome. This podcast focuses on connecting to the history that is all around us in our own communities and the stories that shape who we are. For episode number 10, we head to Western Athens County and the village of Albany to learn all about its very important Albany Enterprise Academy and the Underground Railroad in Southeast Ohio. I'm Brian Costco, and this is Invisible Ground. We would like to acknowledge here at Invisible Ground that we are on traditional territory of Kaskaskia, Osage, Shawnee, Adena, and Hopewell peoples. You can find this show wherever you find your favorite podcasts already, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. If you enjoy Invisible Ground, please help us out by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. You can find previous episodes and more information at findinvisibleground.com. And if you'd like to be a sponsor or you have an idea to share with us, please email me at findinvisibleground at gmail.com. You can support the show and all of the work that we do on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash invisibleground. Support for Invisible Ground this episode comes from the Nelsonville Music Festival, presented by Stewart's Opera House July 21st through the 23rd at the Snowfork Event Center in Nelsonville, Ohio. Big Thief, Alex G., Kurt Vile and the Violators, Sierra Farrell, Always, Margot Price, Lucinda Williams, Weed Ghost, and many, many more. The absolute best weekend of the year. NelsonvilleFest.org for tickets and more information. And making sure that we're really well covered in the Brian's Favorite Things sponsorship category this episode. Thanks as well to Casa Nueva and Cantina in Athens, Ohio, a place you can find me eating breakfast burritos for the last two decades or so. 4 West State Street in Athens. They serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day but Tuesdays when they're closed. And they have open stage every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. where all acts are welcome. Thanks as always to the Southeast Ohio History Center for their continued support of this project. You can visit AthensHistory.org to find out more about their work. And special thanks to everyone who's contributed to Invisible Ground in any way so far. You can see a whole list of sponsors and supporters on our website. The Invisible Ground app is available for Apple and Android, and it can be used on our immersive historic markers around Athens County. There's currently three of them, all in uptown Athens, at the former location of the Berry Hotel on Court Street, Mount Zion Baptist Church on the corner of Carpenter and Congress, and the Athens County Courthouse right in the middle of town, also on Court Street. New markers are coming in September for the Albany Enterprise Academy, which this episode's about, the Soldiers and Sailors Monument on College Green in Athens, and Tablertown in eastern Athens County. We even have a few more still to come this year. More information on that part of the project and everything we do at findinvisibleground.com. Albany, Ohio can be found in the southwest corner of Athens County, a small rural village with a very big history. Albany was laid out in 1832 and incorporated as a village in 1842, made up mostly of farmers and a few merchants. One early settler was William S. Lewis, a graduate of Oberlin College in my own Lorraine County, up in northern Ohio. The Lewis family, like many involved with Oberlin College from that time, were staunch abolitionists and engaged in anti-slavery meetings, organizations, and promoted those ideas and beliefs in Ohio. William, his wife Eliza, and daughter Lamira began to teach students out of their home in Albany. 
and in 1847 they had started the Lewis Academy. The Lewis Academy was of course in line with the family's beliefs and open to all people regardless of race or gender. By 1850, the business model of the institution changed from individual ownership to a joint stock company, and Lewis Academy became the Albany Manual Labor College. Shares were offered for $25 each, with these stipulations set out in the Constitution for involvement. No person of good moral character who is not a slaveholder, either in practice or principle, shall be denied the privilege of being a stockholder in this institution. No one shall be rendered an ineligible for office or refused admittance as a student on terms of perfect equality on account of caste, color, or place of nativity. It's a basic and human idea, but one that's pretty radical for rural Ohio in 1850. Let's hear from a returning voice on this podcast, historian Ada Woodson Adams. How does Albany, a rural place in America, very little access to the rivers or the streams, that people navigated back in the 1800s, how did Albany end up to be an educational hotspot? Some of the people who lived in Albany probably worked at the university eventually. So they were interested in their children being educated. And they were also free-minded thinkers. And they thought outside the box of understanding humanity. And that is, they knew that enslaving people, holding people against their will, was not the right thing. And so they opened up their hearts and their homes to receiving people who had been enslaved and um, protecting them and allowing them to live there and grow their families. Now, that gives you just a general idea of the the first maybe Europeans who settled in Albany and what, what their mindset might have been. But there was also the Southern plantation owners who found out about Albany being a place where um, black Americans could go and live and be safe. And so they freed their children and the white slave owners who had mulatto um, children and wanted them to get an education, sent them to Albany, Ohio. And they grew into young adults, and then as they grew into young adults, the educational systems grew. It's no surprise that in this setting, Albany becomes an important place for the Underground Railroad in Ohio. Only 20 miles from the Ohio River and the slave state of Virginia at that time, this community of abolitionists and free black settlers would not only continue to grow, but would continue to serve an important role of protection and assistance to those fleeing their enslavers. The Lewis family and the others that the Albany Manual Labor Academy would draw to this cause would change the fabric of the small village itself. Let's hear from someone with a particular knowledge of Albany history. My name is Brett Elliott. I was born in Albany, raised there. I live in Athens now, and I'm a graphic artist at Hilford & Associates. We do museum planning. For one thing, I think it's a, a unique history that this little town had. Um, it, it boggles my mind. Why Why did it happen there? I'm sure you've heard the name Cable and how important they were to the Underground Railroad. And you know, you can't take religion out of the equation either. Um, they were very religious. The first newspaper in, in Albany was the Presbyterian paper that um, Jonathan Cable brought with him, and that was it was published there. 
Jonathan Cable was another important figure in the national abolitionist movement that was connected to Albany at one point. Quick background, Cable was a Presbyterian minister, born in New York in 1799. He was a graduate of Ohio University in 1827, and he spent his formative years founding churches in New York and Ohio. He became a staunch anti-slavery abolitionist in that time. He served as vice president of the anti-slavery convention held in Cincinnati in 1842 and became active in that movement. He then became a free Presbyterian and friends with John Rankin, whose house on the hill above the crossing of the Ohio River at Ripley served as a literal beacon of light to countless enslaved people crossing the river. The Rankin house is also still there and an incredible place to visit. I highly recommend heading down to Ripley and checking it out. Cable even becomes directly involved with the Underground Railroad, with the escape of the 28, as it's called, in Cincinnati in 1853, in which 28 enslaved people were brought across the Ohio River to Lawrenceburg, Indiana, and then on across state lines into Ohio. It's noted that the people escaping pretended to be in a funeral procession, headed into an integrated cemetery in the north side, but instead they traveled to meet Jonathan Cable in College Hill. Almost the whole group made it to Canada, with the exception of a child who died on the journey and is buried in a cemetery in College Hill, Cincinnati. Cable eventually returns to the Athens area, but this time to Albany. He becomes an agent for the Albany Manual Labor Academy in 1856, and by 1858, he's the school's principal. His son David teaches mathematics there, and besides running the school, Cable becomes a fundraiser, traveling far and wide to raise funds for a, quote, free manual labor anti-slavery university in Albany, Ohio. And he's someone with powerful friends, too, coming with the blessing of Salmon P. Chase, a national politician who rose to prominence as a free soil anti-slavery politician. Chase becomes governor of Ohio in 1856 until 1860, and himself served on the board at one point of the Albany Manual Labor Academy. Chase later serves as the Treasury Secretary in Lincoln's cabinet and becomes Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. These are huge connections for Albany, the Enterprise Academy, and a broader anti-slavery movement. Cable and his friends and family, they also become part of that welcoming and safe environment for black families in Albany and one that promotes safe passage through the area on the Underground Railroad. I want to introduce another returning voice on this show, one that you're all familiar with by this point, the Southeast Ohio History Center's Tom O'Grady. Well, when you look at the old Siebert map, Henry Siebert maps of the Underground Railroad in Ohio, you see a line that goes from one town to the next, and from that town it goes north and might go east or west. They're all headed north. There are about 10 points on the Ohio River that converge on two points in, in Lee Township, Albany and Hebbardsville. When you look at the old maps, there were three, I think there were three different academies out there. There were the Enterprise Academy, the Manual Labor Academy, which they just tore down in the last 20 years. I remember going by to so do you know the, the, where the Klein Drugstore was in Albany? That's where the marker where is. The marker yeah, is. exactly. So when I was growing up, I never saw the business opened. There was always an abandoned building, but the story was, was there's tunnels under there that went to the, the black school, which is impossible, you know? But that was always the story. That, that was the Underground Railroad. And part of that is the underground part, you know, that kind of thing. I think it was probably more the, the John Brown 
bank house next door that it wasn't a tunnel, but it was a some kind of hiding spot. Those stories come up in Albany a lot. Even in my research and time in the village, I ran into several people with stories about tunnels or the Underground Railroad or a combination of the two. And Brett's right. One story does involve John Brown, not the John Brown, but I think they would have gotten along nonetheless. Uh, well, that John Brown from Albany hiding people under the floorboards of his shop in town. And even a more detailed and famous story, which is shown on the mural in town in Albany, that involves hiding people under a cart of hay on their journey through town. But this attitude of abolitionism, equality, and anti-slavery was not necessarily shared by everyone in Albany in the early 1860s. Again, this is during the Civil War, which is actively happening at the time. In 1862, when the Albany Manual Labor Academy has to close due to funding issues, the school is purchased by a Christian group who reestablishes the school as Franklin College, an all-white institute. Franklin College would also eventually fail, moving to Wilmington, Ohio, where they opened a school there before that one would close. That school in Wilmington would later be purchased by the Society of Friends and reopened as the very different Wilmington College. In 1863, as a direct response to the all-white Franklin College denying entry to black students, the black families of the community of Albany and Reverend Thomas Jefferson Ferguson, a prominent black educator, and many others opened the Albany Enterprise Academy. So the black citizens of Albany, Ohio, decided they would raise money to build a school so their children could be educated. And so with monies from the Freedom Bureau, uh, a large donor and selling stock, they were able to raise enough money to build the Albany Enterprise. Their, their constitution said, and I, I, I wrote this down because I wanted to get it right, it, the Albany Enterprise was black-owned, black-operated, and it offered opportunity for those wanting an education. Their catalog, in their catalog, the objective of this institution is to furnish to all persons of good character who may wish to avail themselves of its privilege a sound Christian and literary education, particularly colored persons, who wish to prepare themselves for teachers, or educators of their race, or to fill with honor other useful positions in society. Due respect is shown to the orthodox faith of all who attend, and no undue tampering with the religious belief of a student will be tolerated. So I don't know where that story came about where it was black owned and only black people could attend, as it said in their um, mission statement that anyone of good character who, who set an example and wanted to be educated could attend. And, um, but it was black owned and for, for the most part black operated. By the map of 1875, there was a white school, a black school, and then the Enterprise Academy and the Atwood Institute all were in operation at the same time. Places like the Albany Manual Labor and the Enterprise Academy were more like colleges, preparing students to be educators. And Albany Manual Labor was preparing people to be very good at agricultural endeavors and also to become teachers. But they also learned the trade of farming. 
So Albany had a mixture of educational institutions at different levels. The more I research Albany or, or think about Albany, how important it was. It was like where it started. It really, you know, the, the goal of the enterprise was to educate people so that they could go educate other people. The roots that, that began there, is, it's incredible. And I, I, th I think it is really almost a national story. Um, and I think it's been a thing that's been ignored or forgotten. And those roots established at the Albany Enterprise Academy would have far-reaching impacts. The people who came through those doors as students would often go on to do incredible work themselves, breaking boundaries and continuing to educate black Americans all over the country wherever they settled. One very important person who attended the Albany Manual Labor Academy before the Enterprise Academy is Milton Holland. We'll talk about Holland much more in a future episode of Invisible Ground on Athens County in the Civil War, but I have to give you the very, very, very short version. Milton Holland was born a slave in Texas in 1844 to his father, Bird Holland, and an enslaved woman owned by Bird's half-brother. Milton and his two brothers would be sent to the Albany Manual Labor Academy in Ohio to receive an education. But Milton also wanted to join the Union Army, too. He worked as a shoemaker and servant to Colonel Nelson Van Voorhees from 1861 to 1863. And then Holland went on and formed Company C with about 149 other young black men at the Athens County Fairgrounds. They all joined the 5th United States Colored Infantry. Among other valor of Holland's, he became a hero in the Civil War for his unbelievable bravery at what is really a, a crucial moment in the entire conflict. It happened at the Battle of Newmarket Heights, or Chafin's Farm, and he took command of the entire 127th Ohio Volunteer Infantry at that battle after all of the other officers had been killed or wounded. The Union victory there, led by Milton Holland, choked off the last route to Richmond for Confederate supplies helping to hasten a surrender by General Lee. Holland received the Medal of Honor for that action, becoming one of only four black men from Ohio to receive that during the Civil War. He went on to have a successful and long life, more on that later too, and he's buried in Arlington National Cemetery. This is all directly stemming from Holland's time in Albany and Athens County. Some of the people who attended the Enterprise Academy, some of the students that we know that became famous was, of course, the Berries, Martha Maddie Madre and Edward Berry, Olivia Davidson, Mary Davidson, attended the Albany Enterprise Academy, and they all were about the same age. Uh, Maddie and Edward ended up marrying each other in operating several businesses in Athens and building a large hotel. I think one of the things that the academy must have taught the young people is how to manage their money because most of the students went on to be very successful in whatever field they pursued, whether they went on to teach at uh, Wilberforce University or go down south to teach in freedom schools or whatever, becoming principals of institutions. They became very successful and able to educate their, their own children. Olivia Davidson, after she graduated from Albany Enterprise Academy, she went on to several uh, institutions of higher learning and was able to raise a lot of money for Tuskegee. And not only was she able to raise a lot of money for Tuskegee, but 
she was um, very instrumental in growing the educational experiences of the student and of the institution. And uh, I'm so proud of uh, Booker T. Washington because he said in his autobiography that I, uh, had not been for Olivia, I would not have been as successful as it turned out to be. So at least he recognized the importance of Olivia. That tradition in seeding out and sending out continues, and, and many of them come out of the HBCUs that are dispersed throughout uh, the, the U.S. I, I just want to mention, yes, we talked about the Albany Academy, but I just visited Sumner School in Parkersburg, West Virginia, which was a school that I understand started somewhere around the same time, and I learned the interesting fact that it was a school for blacks before there was a school for whites in the area uh, because they did not have public education at the time. So places like Keir Run, which is in Pomeroy, who uh, sent forth, well, two West Virginia State University presidents where I worked. I think it was important because those that came from that became very revolutionary in terms of not only education, but as we saw, you know, in terms of um, uh, starting businesses, uh, opening banks, uh, following through entrepreneurial uh, pursuits. Cannot fail to mention uh, from the Albany Academy, we also have Ed Berry, Maddie Berry, Olivia Davidson, who uh, married Booker T. Washington and went on to st begin Tuskegee Institute. The Reverend Anthony Binga Jr. was a principal and preacher at Albany Enterprise Academy at one point, a member of the Canadian Anti-Slavery League and a lifelong Baptist preacher after this time in Albany too. Binga was a talented speaker and writer. In 1889, he published a collection of his sermons with the awesome and straightforward name, Sermons on Several Occasions. A.J. Jackson was a teacher, writer, and poet at the Albany Enterprise Academy. He taught later in nearby Pike County and even had a book of poems released by a publisher there. I thought it would be wonderful to have Stephanie Kendrick read one of those poems. Stephanie is a council person in Albany, Ohio, and a poet. But specifically, she's currently the Poet Laureate of Athens. Autumn Song The sultry days of autumn Soon shall have passed me by And soon will dull November Heave out his parting sigh And then shall chill December's Impetuous wild winds blow And robe the hills and valleys in gleaming sheaths of snow to pass from Indian summer how likened to the shock when from a downy pillow we fall upon a rock the birds that love the summer have ceased their songs to sing and to a warmer climate they go on wary wing and soon the little snowbird shall play upon the snow the rabbit from the hilltop down in the valley go times would change in albany and at the enterprise academy and while it would continue to be a bustling institution in the community through the 1870s its numbers would dwindle outside events also had an impact on the academy we mentioned a tragic event in the courthouse episode 
and one that we'll be going into further detail later on in an episode of Invisible Ground, but I need to bring it up here again in context of the Albany Enterprise Academy and the black community in Albany, Ohio. In 1881, a series of terrible events would lead to the lynching of Christopher Davis, a 24-year-old black man from Albany, Ohio. He lived near the village with his wife and two kids, and despite his innocence, was accused and arrested on October 30th, 1881, after a white woman living near Davis reported an assault. Davis was later taken by a lynch mob from the Athens jail on November 21st, 1881, dragged by a rope around his neck to the South Bridge in Athens over the Hocking River, and there he was murdered by hanging. We'll discuss this story in greater detail in a future episode of Invisible Ground. But being that we're discussing the community that Christopher Davis lived in and called home in Albany, I felt it was important to mention here. Again, Ada Woodson Adams. The Albany Enterprise Academy came about just before for the Civil War, and it lasted through that time. It lasted after the Civil War, long after. And a lot of the students who came to the Albany Enterprise Academy came from out of state. They came from southern states, some from the East Coast, and some from uh, maybe a couple from western part of the, of the country, but mostly from the South, and then the local students. And so when that um, influx of students from the South started to dwindle, the population of the school um, dwindled. Then they had a fire, a major fire in one of the buildings. They had to close that part of the educational operation. And uh, they continued to educate those who came until about 1880-something. And then T.J. Ferguson, who had lasted the longest, he was there in the beginning, he was there in the end, um, fell ill, and no longer could maintain the academy, and that was the main reason why it closed. L lack of uh, students and uh, ill health of the professor. The school operated until 1885, and as Ada Woodson Adams mentioned, it was a perfect storm of different issues that seemed to have caused its final closure. A devastating fire, decline in the black population in Albany, and its founder and principal Thomas Jefferson Ferguson getting sick. Eventually, the Albany Enterprise Academy closed. The damaged building remained off in a field outside the village. The Enterprise Academy, the lintel over the doorway had these hands like this on it. Have you seen it? Yeah, you all have it here. Right. Well, at some point, they took the upper stories of that building off and they turned it into a, a one-story house, and you could still see the lintel over the doorway on the one-story house. And why they would have tore that brick house down, I'll, I'll never know. The building remained on the site as a one-floor private residence. This is the former two-story building that contained the chapel and the classroom space. There's a mention of a dormitory being on site, and Dr. Ivan Tribe goes into detail about that in his fantastic writings, but I don't know what happened to that building. But as Tom mentioned, a few parts of the Albany Enterprise Academy are preserved at the Southeast Ohio History Center. The lintel stone and cornerstone can both be found in its collections. And great photos of those artifacts and photos of the 1950s house can be also found at AthensHistory.org. That house was all that remained of this foundational institution, but the stories were still known throughout the community. Again, 
Brett Elliott. As a kid, it was a puzzle because I, I was told that was the black school, you know, that was the black college. But when I, it was still standing when I saw it, you know, and it was one, it was a house, it was a home at that point. Um, and it just, I, it just never clicked for me. Um, and my, my grandparents' property, their home, butted up to the Atwoods, or I'm sorry, the Enterprises' property, okay. yeah. So we could see it when we went to my grandmother's, you know, we could just look out the back door and there, there it was. And I, I think there was even a trailer there too on the property at the same time. But it, it, you know, it just, it's like, well, if it was a school, why isn't it a school? And, you know, yeah. and, and what a shame that that wasn't preserved. Another place gone, one that's so important, without any physical remains at that location. Though I should note here that in addition to the cornerstone and the lintel stones at the Southeast Ohio History Center, I also came across a brick at Wells Library in Albany in their local history section that says on it, quote, this is a brick from the Albany Enterprise Academy, 1863. So that's pretty cool. The village of Albany celebrates this black history. The region is hopefully knowing about it more and more. Work from the late Dr. Ivan Tribe, who recently passed away, included several books and essays about the history of Albany and its connections to important black history through its educational institutions. His writings and research were very valuable for me in the planning of this episode and my own studies. Much appreciated, Dr. Tribe. The same goes for the late Joni Carrington, who I first learned about from Ada Woodson Adams. Joni was a painter, author, and historian whose book, Me, God, and the Chicken Coop, contains fantastic paintings about Albany's history, along with stories and more. Her mural graces the side of the prominent wall in the center of the village, and her paintings are in the Wells Library, where I mentioned that brick was earlier, which is the village's branch of the Athens County Public Library system. Carrington's painting of the Albany Enterprise Academy remains one of its best depictions. And researchers, academics, and those studying the history and lives of early black leaders, writers, and educators will no doubt come across this important institution, the community that created and sustained it, and the countless individuals who gained an education at the Enterprise Academy. Many of them, as I mentioned, went on to do such important work all over the world. Again, Dr. T. Ford Ahmed. It kind of lays the background for what eventually became recognized as historical black colleges and universities. 1891, uh, with the advent of the Morrell Act, and them figuring out what are we going to do now that we have emancipated these people. <laughs> and yes, we'll teach them mechanics and trades, but we should also know that there was something that started way before that that also focused on mechanics and trade, but it also taught the classics. And it was <laughs> very... Um, prestigious university, one where uh, was so popular and, and well-respected that our enslavers in the South sent their biracial children there to be educated. I think the HBCUs just carries forth this tradition of higher standards of education, and especially for, uh, for blacks and those of color. These are important connections, and ones that still carry into today. Histories that need to continue to be preserved and talked about, known in our own region and beyond for their contributions. And I think beyond their overall importance, we need to make this a part of our rural history and a continued point of pride. In closing, 
Dr. T. Ford Ahmed. That there were coal miners and farmers and people who were really elevating uh, themselves and the population that they were inhabiting, I think is really important to know about that because it's not written or taught to the generations that are coming along. So we have to uh, let them know that in terms of feeling good about oneself, one has to know that they have a history that was valuable and very important to progress and the growing up and the building up of a nation and how they, their ancestors participated in it. That, that has been ignored over and over and over. So it is very important that we uh, attempt to elevate those stories uh, today. Thank you to everyone involved with this episode, including everyone I talked to, Ada Woodson-Adams, Brett Elliott, Dr. T. Ford Ahmed, Tom O'Grady, and Stephanie Kendrick. Thanks as well to the Albany Area Volunteer Fire Department and Chief Bolin. The newest invisible ground marker for the Albany Enterprise Academy will be found right there by the fire department on Washington Road sometime in September, along with a few more new ones debuting then. You'll be able to see the Albany Enterprise Academy with the Invisible Ground app on your smartphone right there in front of the sign, only a short distance from the actual spot of the school, which is, you know, on private land. So we're going to do it there at the fire station instead. Thanks to Mary, Rachel, and everyone at the Wells Branch of the Athens Public Library. I have an overdue book that I promise I will bring back soon. And as I mentioned earlier, I want to thank the late Dr. Ivan Tribe for his work and the late Joni Carrington for her paintings and stories. Thanks as well to the Southeast Ohio History Center, Mount Zion Black Cultural Center, coloredconventions.org, and everyone else who helped out with the research of this story. Music in this episode comes from Powers Rollin duo, Bill McKay, Disjointed Mike, Dead Winds of Summer, Pete Fosco, The Peel, Weed Ghost, Cold Snack, and Todd Jacobs, who also does our theme. Thanks also to Tommy Stump and Todd Jacobs, who helped with some audio editing. Invisible Ground is an exhibition partner with the Southeast Ohio History Center. Thank you to them for all of their help, and go visit AthensHistory.org to learn more about what they do. Grant support for the Invisible Ground Project comes from Ohio History Connection, Ohio Humanities, Athens County Foundation, Ravada Foundation of the Logan Family, Klein Penny Educational Fund, Ohio's Winding Road, and additional support from all of our donors and supporters, both individuals and businesses. You can see a full list on our website at findinvisibleground.com. Thank you for supporting this project. And again, go see all of the Invisible Ground Markers. There's three in Athens right now and many more to come. Download the app. It's available for Apple and Android. And please go check out this podcast and its previous episodes wherever you get your favorite podcasts already. Please subscribe, rate, and review. It really does help. And tell your friends to spread the word. If you have an idea for a show or you'd like to help us with some fundraising, reach out to findinvisibleground at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This episode is dedicated to the memory of our friend and a friend of the whole Athens community, Paul Logue, who passed away in early July 2023. Thank you for everything you've done for Invisible Ground, Paul, and for all of Athens. You will be missed.